When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? This is Tyler Baker from Goodbye June, and you are listening to the one and only Jay Scott on The Hook Rocks, the absolute best podcast series in the world. Grandpa Wilbur was the first to be saved. He traveled the country playing on the church stage. They passed the hat. That was all he was paid. He was a dying breed long before his day. What's going on? What's shaking? What's happening? How you doing? It's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for tuning in. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great network of music-based podcasts, all different flavors, all different genres of music-related shows that you can check out. I always mention my friends that are also on the platform too as well, like Mistress Carrie in Boston. Uh, Vinny Apice, Carmen Apice, and Ron Anesti on the Hanging and Banging podcast. Tom and Zeus, the number one rated KISS podcast in the galaxy at Shout Out Loudcast. And Martin Popoff, the rock historian. So check those out and more all on Pantheon. Decibel Geek, Baco at Cobras and Fire, those two as well. So give them a listen. Uh, don't forget to check out some of our Old episodes, I shouldn't say old, latest episodes over the last couple months. We had the pleasure of interviewing Scott Gorham of Thin Lizzy, talking about putting together a collection of musicians and touring under Thin Lizzy at the end of this year into next, as well as Ema Reynolds, the documentary director of the Phil Lynott, uh Songs for Walm Away documentary. So check that out. She was great. Talked about the angle and the story that she wanted to tell about Phil Line and Finn Lizzy. So those episodes kind of bookend themselves. We also did our year-end celebration of the top 30 albums of 2021. We had a lot of guest contributors. We talked over 160 albums, two episodes, and almost six hours of discussion. So everything from legacy artists who released new music in 2021 to new bands, as well as unknowns like the Age of Truth, who I think are just totally kick ass band out of philadelphia that kind of reminds you of sabbath and motorhead all mixed in one they're a great band one to watch out for one that i hopefully do tour over this year uh follow us wherever you do podcasts spotify apple amazon don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest and greatest hook rocks podcast and don't forget to check out our new music spotlights we've had some great bands over the last couple months the warning georgia thunderbolts joyous wolf Seven-Year Witch, South of Eden, you name it, they've been on the show. Great to always showcase new and up-and-coming up acts. The emerging rock scene is one that you should take serious if you are a rock fan. There's a lot of stuff to listen to out there, so please, please check it out. And don't forget to follow Pantheon Pods on Twitter and Facebook at Pantheon Pods, as well as their website, www.pantheonpodcast.com. Follow The Hook Rocks on Twitter and Facebook. And now Instagram, we've got one post, our initial post on Instagram. I've been promising it for like two years and it's finally here. So search up the hook rocks on all three of those platforms and enjoy the post and always 
feel free to comment and always feel free to leave us a review on any podcast platform. We always appreciate your feedback, so please do so. It's been a long time since my guest today appeared on the Hook Rocks. It's been probably almost a year or a little over. She's always a joy to have on. She's got a lot to say, and we're going to be talking about new bands and where the most important areas of promotion and where to focus on for a new band um, right now in the rock scene. There's social media, there's satellite radio, there's regular rock radio, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. Streaming sites, I'd like to welcome Jade Alicia back to the Hook Rocks. What's happening, Jade? Thank you so much for having me on, as always, Jay. Um, I'm excited to talk about this. If the listeners didn't know, Jay didn't tell me what the podcast subject was before signing on. So I think this is going to be a good one for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, living on the edge a little bit, a little surprise for what we're going to talk <laughs> about. But, you know, you have been around the rock scene for quite a bit over the past several years. You know, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of work with legacy artists, but... You know, you're also working with a lot of young artists, too, as well. And I think it's important to kind of talk about, because we have talked about this before on the podcast, what bands Mm -hmm. are doing, how they're approaching marketing, where it makes sense, where it doesn't. Sometimes bands kind of get lost on platforms and they don't know how to get out of it. Um, And also kind of touch on, too, as well, the importance of that glorious record deal that isn't so glorious anymore. Um, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to say record deals aren't all they're cracked up to be. And I right. think the term record deal has kind of got some rose colored glasses over it because when you look behind it, it is not always what it's cracked up to be. Right. And and I've talked to several people in the industry, bands, management companies, PR people over the past year and hearing the horror stories that bands are going through right now. Oh, yeah. Not every band, but there's always a handful every year where you cringe when you hear what they're dealing with when they kind of sign away their music. And mm-hmm. the person they sign it away from isn't reputable or kind of uses their music as a form of extortion in a way. Uh, and and they don't do what they say. So there are people out there like that. There are labels. There are people that do represent labels that have done this to artists all the time throughout music history. Um, I'm hearing about it more personally because some of the artists who I've talked to have said this to me. And it's heartbreaking because all that creativity and that passion they're putting into writing music now they've got to put in money that they typically don't have into fighting for the stuff that they created. You know, I can certainly speak on this topic the best that I can with what I know, because my background does come from journalism and it has been somehow the longest yet shortest six or seven years in this crazy industry. But I would love to get you in touch with my boyfriend. His name is Joey Arena. He's the singer in a band called Outlier. He could tell you so many more horror stories and so much more that goes on on the inside of this industry because I'm just kind of getting my feet wet with it now with doing this PR company that I just launched. But even the things as a journalist that I've heard, I remember uh, probably a little over a year ago, I did an interview with Phil Levant from All That Remains. And I asked them, you know, like, what can we expect from you? You know, are you doing the single thing? Because that's really big right now. Most bands are just kind of focusing on releasing singles as opposed to shooting for that record deal and getting those full lengths out. And he told me, he's like, we we don't want a record deal. I never want to deal with a record company again because they take and they take and they take. And ultimately, yeah, it looks really pretty when you're signing a deal that looks like you're getting a quarter of a million dollars up front. But at the end of the day, that has to go between so many different people and you usually end up owing the record company money somehow. You see this big chunk of money and it looks bright and shiny and then you end up just in the dust and most of the time you don't even have rights to your own music. It's crazy. 
you always hear that story about Van Halen who released yeah. Van Halen one in 78 and were million dollars in debt, millions of dollars in debt at the end of that still happens. for that album. Mm-hmm. Even when it comes down to things as simple as merchandising, like, um, you could sign a big merchandising deal, you know, like these bands, the Hot Topic bands, I say. You think those bands are making bank off those shirts you're buying on Hot Topic? They're lucky if they're getting a dollar a shirt, you know? So, oh, you could say so-and-so sold out in Hot Topic. They made pebbles compared to what they would have done if all of these people bought it directly from them. And that's where I get into it. And as you know, I do tour merchandising on how important it is to support the bands directly because that helps them out substantially. I mean, a hundred people buying a shirt from Hot Topic versus a hundred people buying a shirt directly from the artist, opposite ends of the spectrum and what that does monetarily for the band. Yeah, I think this is a great place to start the conversation because, you know, there's a lot of things we can do to support bands, but there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. I think bands can do differently than, you know, maybe they've, you know, been told something or maybe they believe in something that, you know, is not necessarily the truth. Um, right. You know, first off with the record deal, like you said, it's not what it used to be. It is, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're a band that's been able to, you know, build or build this great audience independently. I mean, and I think of yes. of Greta Van Fleet as the prime example. They were a new band. That's who I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah, they sure. took off. They held all the power in negotiating with several different record labels, right? Because several different record labels wanted them, and in that case, they're going to get what they want, pretty much, pretty close to it, where they're going to have their masters back after a certain number of years. They're, you know, usually some some bands wait have to wait ten years, some have to wait longer, and um, some never get them back at all. Which so is yeah, some never crazy. get them back at all. Yeah, I mean, I think of Rival Sons right now who are coming out with all these anniversary issues of their albums. Their first one is they're doing now is their debut. That's because they got the masters back. So now <laughs> they're right. so now they're yeah they're coming out with these special editions and good on them for doing that. That's what they should be doing, but. You know, there's a lot of fine print. And like you said, you know, most of the time when you get done after you release that album, because there's a cost that goes into making that album, which that upfront mm-hmm. advance, that's included that you have to pay for your album out of that money mm-hmm. to to pay for it. So, you know, a, a record, a good album can cost you anywhere from 10 to 50,000 to, to make, right? For right. a new band, depending on who you have producing depending on how much time you go in. That's why preparing your demos is so important, being ready to go. Don't waste a lot of time writing in the studio. Have all of your stuff ready. Um, But in the age of social media and in the age of DIY, the impact that a good management company can Mm -hmm. have on you and a good PR company can supersede whatever record deal you have. Because there's a lot of record labels that don't do anything in terms of promoting your music. A hundred percent. And I think that's why we're seeing a big rise in independent artists kind of creating their own team in the way that, okay, I want this manager. I want this lawyer. I want this publicist versus um, most of the time, if you go into a label, they have set people for you and To me, that seems a little impersonal, not knocking any particular label or anything, but it's like, I don't know, like for me with my PR company that I just launched, Jade Alicia Media, I had people come to me who have gone to other companies and media companies and said that they chose me because they know me on a personal level. They've seen what I can do and that they believe in me because I'm young and I'm hungry and you know, this is new and they believe in the fact that I'm going to work it harder than somebody 
who just gets fed these bands, puts it in the template and sends it out and doesn't really think too much about it. But I'm sitting here four days into my business, just like racking my brain all night. Like, how am I going to approach this marketing wise? Like literally at like midnight thinking about what, what Facebook groups am I going to target this into? What do, like for me, it's, I'm bad at setting work boundaries. So it can be 10 o'clock at night. It could be midnight. I'm going to answer the email. It's a blessing and a curse, but I feel like I'm at a point right now where one, I kind of need to do that. And two, for these bands, since some of them are so young and new, they they need somebody who's going to work around the clock to help make them successful. And that that's something I'm willing to do that maybe you won't get with a typical nine to five publicist. Yes, absolutely. I, I think of the conversation I had with John Notto from Dirty Honey. And oh, okay. he said that they have a very small, dedicated team around mm-hmm. them. And that's they don't move. have a they don't have a record label or they don't have a record deal. Okay. They have a PR, they've got a management company, and that's really it. And they've got they don't have a lot of people around them. They've got very few, which is important because that the more important. people you have around you, the harder it is to manage as a band or to know what's really going on. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the least amount of people, the less amount of people you have around you, you can have that relationship. You can have that one-on-one time with them. You know, I mean, you know, if you've got this person handling this and this person handling that, it's impossible for a band who's trying to be creative, trying to get a tour, trying to be on tour and play music to keep track of all that. So they have a very small right. circle and it's worked for them. And that's a great example because, you know, right now they're on tour with Mammoth, WVH. They toured yes. with Black Crows last summer. Their album was very well received, not just by the classic rock crowd, but by young people, which is another important aspect of this is, you know, when you think of that album and the young people that are walking around with dirty honey shirts, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a, a big, a big difference. And if there's anything to learn from that band is that, is that conversation. You can find it on our, on my conversations and collaborations with him and Tyler Baker from goodbye June. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, I asked John in that same conversation, would you ever want a record deal? And he shrugged his shoulders and he said, yeah, if it makes sense to us. Exactly. And so he, so they're pretty much okay with just being DIY independent, doing their own thing. And I think that's what the industry is moving towards now, because I think, like I mentioned earlier, the rose colored glasses are kind of coming off as more, um, about the industry comes out because even me personally now in a place on an, an internal personal level, I look at the industry a hundred percent differently than I did when I was 18 years old, 17 years old, just like, I'm so happy to be here. Like such a little teeny bopper thinking I was much older than I was. And the music industry is, Oh my God, like that could be its own podcast. <laughs> Just talking about what the music industry is really like on the inside and what it does to somebody, especially like me, who was young and a female. It's wild, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) um, I'm going to see a lot more of those Dirty Honey type bands. I think of Joyous Wolf, if you know them, kind of in the same vein. And they, these bands that we're seeing now kind of remind me of the model that the struts had when they got big. The struts yeah. was one of those bands. I had heard of them. I, I always wave like the flag. Like I knew the struts before anybody else did. Like I was watching their YouTube videos when they were playing these little tiny clubs and all this stuff in America. And they like weren't selling out. They weren't big. And then all of a sudden they just blew up. But it was the same thing. It was a small team, but a small dedicated team. And I think that's what it comes down to. So you don't get bogged down as one out of, you know, a roster of 350 artists. In most cases, you're one of like very few. 
and you get yeah. special attention that way. Right. No, because you know, they, they, they want you to be successful because mm-hmm. it means more to them rather than, yeah. you know, a firm that has hundreds of people on there that, you know, they kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing too, as well, is when you have a small team like that, you know, you're able to get honest, more honest feedback because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to, they don't want to do anything that will hurt you. They want to do what's right by you. They want to be an advocate for you. That's the biggest difference, right? Right. Yeah. And here's a shameless plug going along that way. Um, when I launched my media company, my boyfriend launched an entertainment company the same day. So we're kind of going hand in hand right now. Our house is kind of like an office in the best way possible. But he launched a company called Sin Eater Entertainment. And it's an artist development company. And his whole focus and our whole vision, even with my PR company, is I can't remember the exact number, but to break a band is tens of thousands of dollars. And there are bands that deserve to be broken who don't have tens of thousands of dollars to pay for radio, to pay for PR, to pay for the recording and master. It costs so much money. And what we're doing is we, we, he, he came up with the verbiage of a label ran by artists for the artist, because we don't want you to sign this extravagant deal with us that's going to make you lose rights to your music that's going to empty your pockets that's going to take away from what being an artist is we just want to take the business weight off of these artists and these bands so they can focus on what they do which is sing and play instruments and display their musical prowess and we can handle all of the other stuff without you having to put take take out like a mortgage on your house or something so you can get you know radio distribution it's the cost is incredible and he's experienced it firsthand i'm now experiencing it more and more since i've left the journalism realm and kind of entered the business realm but it's the music industry and it's changing all the time which is why it's hard for bands to navigate i think because For me, I've been involved in social media marketing and promotions and management and that kind of stuff for probably about five years, give or take, even a little bit longer if we count stuff outside of the music industry that I worked in. And the algorithms are always changing. Like I got a text from one of my artists the other day, like, is there a secret to the algorithm? No, (laughs) it's just something you got to be on top of and consuming so if you're over here trying to make a record and focus on putting out a great product the last thing you want to be in your brain is oh is this time algorithmically good for us to post that we're in the studio like it's so much (laughs) and my whole goal even as a publicist now is what can I do to make your life easier if you're happy I'm happy at the end of the day that's what it comes down to me making your life easier and both of us having a mutually fulfilling and successful relationship together. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I've thought about this a lot and I've seen Mm -hmm. a lot of artists focus on one thing and believe that that's the most important aspect of, of getting notice or getting a management deal. And they are important. These things are, but you have to start with the basics Mm-hmm. And I still believe radio is very important. And, For sure. You know, satellite radio, um, big market radios like KLOS in California, you know, your college radio stations, your big markets, mm-hmm. you know, still have independent rock radio stations. And, yeah. you know, instead of focusing on a record deal, focus on a management deal. Because, uh-huh. you know, if you get with a good management company, Management companies usually have really good radio pushers and they have the connections within radio because Mm -hmm. you can't just put a song out on a streaming service and expect people to go listen to it, right? Because people don't know who you are. If people are listening to radio, because people still do, 
and or, or satellite radio, that stuff starts to get pushed. I think of the band Plush that had yes. their first mm-hmm. song. I think it was Hate that broke last year around this time on Octane. And it was pushed heavily on Octane. And I think that their management company, Pavement Management, it knows what they're doing. Um, they pushed that song out to satellite and everything at, came after that. The tours, you know, now you know they toured with uh, Hailstorm and Evanescence. They toured with Mammoth. Now they're touring with Slash. That stuff doesn't happen if that song doesn't blow up on Octane Radio. So Sirius XM is massive for bands, specifically Octane, because that's something I deal with directly with my boyfriend's band. Um, they had a few songs on Octane, and it will do wonders. If you can get yourself into Sirius XM, it will do wonders for your numbers. It'll Your merch sales, album sales, everything is going to go up exponentially once you get into a regular rotation there. But like you said, that's when it comes into, well, how do you get that? You have to have a good team behind you. You have to have those connections. And most bands don't have those without having a team unless they like know somebody on the inside of that company or something like that. So like, for example, in my boyfriend's company, Sin Eater Entertainment, that's something he offers is radio promotion and playlisting on Spotify. Like you said, you can put a song up to stream. How are people going to know to stream it? That's when playlisting comes into play. That's when getting on those, um, the Spotify, like they have the weekly playlist and then they have like metal workout playlists or like very specific playlists that are advertised specifically to the audience that it's for. Oh, your new single that just dropped, get it in there. People are going to see it. it. It comes down to exposure at the end of the day, really. That's what you need. And there's lots of factors that goes into gaining exposure. Right. You know, because social media is great for growing your band and the Mm -hmm. brand as well. But people don't, if people hear your music on Octane or college radio or, you know, in a big market, what they'll do is they'll, they'll search you on the internet. They'll search your streaming services. They'll, they'll find the one that want to listen to more stuff. They'll find you on Spotify. They'll find you on Apple. And then everything starts to come with it. Your numbers mm-hmm. go up. People are starting to you know, notice you. They're starting to gain interest for tours. And that's when an Evanescence and Hailstorm tour happens. That's when a Mammoth 100%. You know, tour happens. You know, mm-hmm. Just putting it out there is, is great, but you've got to work so much harder to get that you know, you've really got to work social media. And let's face it, most bands don't have a guy in their band because they're not built that way to know how to mm-hmm. promote themselves through social media. They just don't. Right. You know, so how do you do I that? always refer, I always say social media is such a necessary evil because even for me, I work in social media that pays some of my bills, but mm-hmm. I can't stand social media. Like as a person, oh my God, what a, mess it has caused in the world in general but when it comes to the music industry when it comes to gaining streams which in reality you just want your stream numbers and your monthly listeners to be high people don't want a thousand streams ten thousand streams because it's going to put money in their pocket they just want the number to look nice and appealing so then when these deals do come they can be like oh this person's got 50,000 monthly listeners granted that's not putting a ton of cash in the artist's pocket it'll lead them to opportunities that will exactly and social media is just like i said it's there's a reason i offer that as one of the services that i do in my company because it's tedious and it's time consuming and it's for lack of a better term a little annoying like truly if you if you're a person who just wants to make your music and get your record out there to sit behind a computer all day and think about what times work best to post what hashtags will optimize your post try to figure out you'll rack your brain trying to figure out these algorithms and the thing about the algorithms is they always change so once you get a grasp on it chances are it's going to change again very soon and you're going to have to re-grasp it anyways 
So that's why, again, I feel like this whole conversation, Jay, with you right now is about the importance of a team and the importance of having people surrounding your band, or if you're an artist, just people surrounding you who give a shit about you and want to see you succeed. Because if you succeed, everybody succeeds. And it needs to be it needs to be a mutually beneficial situation. Like I always say, and with a big record deal under these huge record labels, to me, that feels kind of impersonal, unless you're like the record label baby and like you're their favorite because they're making the millions of dollars and they're going to show you all the attention and the love. If you just get signed, you could get shelved just as quickly. And then what, you know? And that's happened to a lot, you know, a, a, a lot of bands, Oh yeah. Or, you know, who maybe aren't the focus of the record label anymore. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like the, the, the pizza syndrome, right? You think of the national chains for pizza, Papa John's, Pizza Hut, Domino's, Little Caesars, whether you go into a location of theirs in New York, Chicago, Kansas, wherever the pizza is going to taste the same. It's not going to be any different. It's going to be cookie cutter and they're, mm-hmm. that's what they're going to serve you. But you go to a mom pop, you know, pizza place, they, they cook it with love. They make sure the and ingredients are great. Yes. You know? and, and that pizza is incredible. It's an experience. It's the same thing mm-hmm. with a team around you. You can get the, the cookie cutter team that will do the same for you as they will a country band, an R&B band, a pop band, right. whatever. Absolutely. And, and, and whether, whether it works or not, oh, well. They've got a hundred other <laughs> artists that, that that they have on their roster. But when you have a small team, you have care, you've got love, you've got a personal connection with those people that want to see you succeed. Um, right. It's important. And there's important questions to ask too. Like when you're a young band and you're looking at a management company or maybe even a small independent record label, you know, you're, you're, you have to ask these questions. What are you going to do to promote the record? Don't, believe when they say oh we'll handle that on the back end because they won't (laughs) they won't they won't they won't and you'll be screwed you'll be like oh man well they'll be like well there's no more money left in the budget because we spent it all on this you've got to prioritize what's important on getting your music out to the people and who Mm -hmm. will do it the best for you not right because handling on the back end that's such a bland basic statement. You don't even know what that means. It sounds good. You know, if you're young, well, they're going to handle on the back end. Well, what's their definition of back end and what's their definition of handling? You know, I know. Right. And that's why they say it because people just hearing the word handled, handling makes them think, oh, it's going to get done. Chances are it won't get done. Or if it does get done, it won't get done well. And I've even experienced that firsthand in touring. Um, I'm trying like not to drop names right now, but there was a summer tour that went amazingly. The same lineup went out in the fall. The fall tour did not receive the promotion that the summer tour did. And it showed like you could tell that these promoters were not working. were not working enough to promote these shows. And then who gets screwed? Oh, the bands as usual. Everybody gets their money, but the bands who, you know, a lot of, and then that comes again, merchandising. So many bands rely on merch. If the promoter who is quote unquote handling it is not handling it and nobody shows up. Doesn't well, matter. There goes your merch sales. I know. Yeah. So it's, yeah. oh man, the music industry. <laughs> we could talk about this all day, Jay. Well, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Cause I've been curious about this. Cause I've heard this recently. I I know artists, you know, will sometimes get a percentage of the beer sales, depending on who they are and where they're playing. I know Maiden gets a percentage of beer sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but do clubs, theaters take a percentage of the band's merch? This is the bane of my existence. So yes, they sure do. <laughs> and it's always infuriated me because well, you're Iron Maiden, you can do whatever they want. And I bet you they're taking Iron Maiden's merch sales, if I'm being completely honest, but they're Iron Maiden. And they're probably doing, you know, 10 grand in 
10 grand on the low end in sales in a night. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never worked for a band or an artist who has played a venue. Well, I shouldn't say never. There are times or if sales are low, sometimes the promoter will be nice and say, I'll let it slide this time. It is very rare that a venue is not going to take a 10 to 20% cut of the merchandise sales. On soft items, they won't take a cut of your music. Um, I think that's only happened to me maybe one time has, has a venue tried to take a cut of music sales. But most of the time on soft items or t-shirts, hats, sweatpants, those kind of things, you're, you're losing 10 to 20%. So that explains why t-shirts now cost 40, $50. That's certainly part of it as well as now, since we can thank COVID for this, it is very hard to acquire blanks. It, it really halted um, the merchandising process, even as far as records, it's very hard to get a record pressed right now because Mm -hmm. of COVID it's hard to get blank t-shirts or blank shorts to print on right now because of just the production halts on everything so i've seen a couple tweets and i've gotten into like a little conversation on twitter about this because nobody wants to pay um you know 40 bucks for a t-shirt nor do i think t-shirts should cost 40 dollars. i'm not a fan of a 40 dollar t-shirt by any means but there certainly is a little hike in prices right now into a concert goer who might not understand or have a grasp of how it works. They're going to be like, what the hell, you know, why are you charging me? Last time I saw you, this was $10 cheaper or something. Nine times out of 10, the band really is not being greedy or trying to screw you. It's really just so after that percentage, we can come home with something. Because I've worked for bands where merch sales is how we're getting in the next show. The money I make for them is what's going in the gas tank and is what's getting us to the next state or the next city or wherever we're going. Yeah. yeah. So, and, the, and then that comes into just like consumer awareness. I love kind of, I've noticed on social media, the openness of bands um, kind of engaging in conversation with their listeners and with their fans on what it's really like on the inside. Like, hey guys, like I even saw, I can't remember who it was from, but I did see a tweet not that long ago of somebody like, our shirts are going to be more expensive this run. Here is why we just want to be transparent with you. And I totally respect that because people should know. And if they choose to be angry after that or not understanding after that, then that's up to them but at least they're educated on it. And I feel like educating listeners and educating music fans will help the music business or industry or whatever be a little bit more cohesive because there is a disconnect there. Yeah, it, there's a lot that goes into it. And, and obviously merch sales are very important, but I was always curious about that because I've heard that's been kind of the norm recently, especially over the last few years where, Clubs mm-hmm. are taking a percentage of sales. And, you know, that's why, you know, there's, you know, another thing too to add, you know, with, with COVID related issues, it's why there's not a lot of merch bands don't have a lot of different things that they used to have is because it's hard to get that mm-hmm. stuff now. But I also think of like Blackberry Smoke, right? right. They own their own merch company. And a lot merch. of bands are doing that now yeah. because it's, it's, cost and oh my god like i can't even tell you the last tour i was on we we tried to do a small reorder in the middle of the run because we were running out of some sizes and i it couldn't have been more than a box of merch is 72 pieces if it's t-shirts you know your regular t-shirt 72 pieces is a typical merch order i'm pretty sure this was not more than a 72 piece order three grand in the middle of the tour and we were like nope (laughs) there was no way there was no way and that is i don't know why it was so expensive but a lot of people are doing the merchandising thing on their own or at least trying to switch into that business model because it really is beneficial to the artist to not have to lose so much on that since the way 
the industry is set up, set to lose probably 15% from the get at a show. The whole moral of this story is keeping your money as a band, Mm -hmm. not paying other people to do other things for you. So when you own your own merch company, yes, there's a cost to getting all that stuff, but the cost is much less than going through a third party and relying on that because that third party has margins that they have to meet for their business. Mm -hmm. That's where, you know, when you're doing it, keeping everything in house it's so much better. Now, not every band's in a position to get there right away, right? I mean, right. Blackberry Smoke didn't have their own merch company when they released their first album or two, you know, but they're a band that tours a lot that will crisscross the country, um, play Europe, play the UK. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, they'll crisscross the country. I mean, they'll, they'll play Chicago three times this year at some point. Right. Right. So they're constantly on tour. They're selling their own merch. Their merch table is, is enormous because they've got everything mm-hmm. under the sun, but they keep all that money. The other thing that I think bands sometimes lack the vision of the importance of special items at a show. Yes. A hundred percent. I love talking about this, Jay. Keep going. Be- okay. <laughs> because, because I think it's so like, I know most, okay, let's just talk about the CD. I know I brought this up in a previous conversation, but let's talk about the CD in general. Like most CDs by new bands are a sleeve and a CD and it's sold for $10, $12 at a show. Okay. That's great. That's a basic CD. There's not a lot of cost in that, but if that band, okay, is recording an album and for pre-order, they've got the basic CD sleeve for 10, 12 bucks, but they've mm-hmm. got a limited edition pre-order only album with a different cover. Okay. And with some other inside the studio photos, it's a collector's edition and you only make an X amount for the pre-order and you sell it for $30. People will buy it. I guarantee it. People sure will. Mm-hmm. Yes, they will. Now, if you go to a tour, right? And every show you do, Chicago, let's just do the Midwest, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Indianapolis, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh, right? Cleveland. And you have 15 uh, CDs with that are numbered that are special edition, tour only, different from the pre-order, different from the basic, have a different color, maybe a different shade, or maybe the CD is a different color. And you sell 15 of those a night, only 15 for 50 bucks. I will get to the show two and a half hours early because I collect CDs and, and music to buy that specific CD. I will go there for that. You will get people to go to your show just for the chance to get that CD. A hundred percent. And that even happened on the Corey Taylor tour at one point. We did um, autographed. They were they weren't eight and a half by eleven. They were like larger sized posters, um, and I believe I only will sell like you said. I think I would do fifteen per show, autographed. Mm-hmm. They they were gone within the first maybe ten minutes. Of yes, sale. if if you don't because have... it's limited edition. Right, like that's the the key word for people. If you don't have a limited edition. You know, however many you want to print for your show right. that you're playing, you're not doing it right. And yes, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's a cost to print that stuff, but if you're, char- I mean, there's a return, charge, the return on it. You, I mean, it probably costs a special edition poster. How much do you, how much do those cost? You probably know more than I would. Dude, honestly, listen, it was like a black and white print on a white poster. Mm-hmm. There might have been some like gold um, embellishing, like um, I can't think of the word, but like not a lot. It was. You sell that for twenty five, thirty bucks. Yep, and the turnaround was massive. Like I limited it because ran a ton of them, so I was like, okay, I'm going to sell X amount of these per show. We could have sold fifty a show. Almost, I could have guaranteed it if we just had more um, to prepare, but, you know, going into a tour, you never know what to expect. Um, but th- 
that's so important. And I love that you brought it up because um, sometimes as a, as a merchandise person, the bands will kind of bring me in on the inside and be like, what should we sell? Do you like this design? What do you think we should have a long sleeve? Do you think we should have a short sleeve? And I love it when they involve me like that because I get like so excited because I'm like, okay, this is my wheelhouse because I'm the person who knows what people want. People come at me every day. Why don't they have this? Why don't they have this? Do you have any of this? And I'm like, no, I told them to do it, but they didn't listen to me. Like, And even so then like just like limited edition items, which like you said, it's a no brainer. Of course, those are going to sell because the word limited edition is like one of those like trigger words in people's brains that are like, oh, I have to have this. I'm a prime example, like marketing companies and businesses, I'm the person that they're marketing to, because if it's pretty and it's shiny and it's on sale, oh my God, <laughs> like I'm it's so, so annoying. I'm such a girl, but like, it, it, but no, but it, it's so true. Like me, myself who collects vinyl and CD, right? If I go to, let's just, let's just throw out a band, for example, Joyous Wolf, because we talked about them before and Joyous Wolf has a pre-order only CD with, of, you know, with, with fo- photos, a photo book of their, of their, uh, in studio stuff and notes from the studio, you know, in, inside the booklet. And it's 25 bucks pre order only. There's a limited 100, 150, right? I will buy that. And I'll also buy the basic one because I'll want both of them, right? <laughs> and then right. if I go to their merch and, and, and on site and I see Chicago only CD, um, limited, limited availability. And I click on it and it says sold only at shows. You don't sell it on the website only at shows. So then I'm like, Oh crap. When are they coming to Chicago? Oh, they're coming to Chicago here. I click on, I buy a ticket for it. I'm going to get down there early. Cause I can get that CD. Right. And if I don't get the mm-hmm. CD shit, I didn't get the CD, but then I'm going to stay for the show. So I'm probably going to buy, then I'm going to probably buy that poster. That's Chicago only that's for 25 bucks, or I'm going to buy the t-shirt. That's the Chicago only t-shirt, whatever it is. Right. I'm going to buy see something that a lot more now yeah. with the bigger bands who can kind of afford to back. Um, if you're doing a full tour, it's going to be very expensive to do like this city only merchandise. Yes. But like you see it with kiss who's obviously on a massive scale, but they'll have Pittsburgh. Like they will have a different shirt in every single city and people will buy them because it's special. And I got, I can, I can only imagine what Kiss's merch return is like, geez, but you get what I'm Maybe saying. Maybe you use those special vinyls, those special CDs, those special shirts on pre-order to help fund mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. Because you're going to get, get your get money idea. back, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just think it's a lost opportunity for a lot of bands that aren't doing that stuff. Um, and even down to like the different items, I try to stress to bands all the time. I'm always on if I'm working for you, I'm like, you got to get something different because it's like, for me, maybe it's because I'm a girl. I don't know if men feel the same way, but like, for me, it's like, how many black t-shirts am I going to own in my life? I've got like five totes full on the low end and like two closets of just band shirts that frankly, I don't wear. Um, but if I go to a show and they've got a pair of sweatpants, I'm buying it. If I see a pair of socks all over it, shorts, want it. Like I almost don't want the t-shirt anymore. I would rather have a sweatpant or a pair of socks or just something that is not a black t-shirt. Personally, I don't know if everybody feels that way, but to me, and as a person who does sell said items, girls love the tank tops, the cutesy little things that they might not get because I've had a lot of women come to me and say, do you have anything for girls? Do you have a tank top? Do you have a V-neck? No, we just have this black t-shirt. And it's a lost sale more often than not. So really getting those just different, not so typical items to me is another big money opportunity as far as merchandising is concerned. How about a city specific t-shirt? with the state flag of where you're playing at this. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it happen. And people, people like to feel special and that's a charism at its finest. So like there's a personal and 
excuse me, speaking is just, I have like three thoughts at one time and they just tried to come out at once and it did not happen when I intended it to. But music itself is such a personal thing for most people. And then getting that personal experience of going to a show and seeing something that is special for you. Like I know a lot of people, I'm not one of them. I kind of do not care about the city I live in, but there are people who live in Philadelphia who ride or die Philadelphia. Like everything they wear is Phillies, Eagles. Like people love where they come from. And there's a lot of people who do. And it's like, hello, opportunity. Like there are people who will buy something just because it has their city or state on it. Even if it's not a band, even if it's like those stupid, like, I love New York shirts, clearly those sell well because you see them everywhere. So making music, which is a personal thing in its own right, even more personal, it's like you're stealing the deal. Yeah. You know, I, you know, the biggest thing is the upfront cost, but right. You know, using that pre-order because everyone's got pre-order stuff now. I I think Mm -hmm. by June, with earache records who had four right. different types of pre-order vinyl cd mm-hmm. t-shirt tote bags all that stuff and yeah i mean if you can manage to do that and fund your tour and fund a lot of different things that you want to do maybe you won't be able to do all three it's special t-shirt poster cd maybe pick one on the first leg then on the second leg do right. another one or if that one is you make a bunch of money on that one that'll lead you to do other things but i just think that there's a lot of lost opportunity in there mm-hmm. like i said if you're if you're selling the cd for 30 30 50 even a hundred dollars if it's a special limited edition i know there's like myself i will buy it i will buy because i know it's it's <laughs> right. rare if there's only 15 of these I'm going to buy if it's like 75 bucks, I will buy it. Like We're talking about this right now in an open conversation. Clearly, like these are just suggestions and things that as one, I'm a seller. So I have experience. We're both music consumers. Like these are just like things that we see work and opportunities to take. And I think a thing with bands and artists is, they think this whole finding success in the music industry thing is a set of a a certain path that they need to take. And this is what they have to do. And it's not one size fits all the music industry. Like this band's path to success is going to be entirely different than this band's path. And I think bands need to stop trying to fit into a mold so much as far as, okay, we have to get to this point before we can get to this point and just try different things on their own. Because yeah, you can look at the bands that have found success and there will be common themes and there will be, you know, recurring names and recurring patterns of behavior that you see, but it's so different for everybody and every genre, every, like, it's just a thing that involves so much trial and error. Like people look at a band like Slipknot and are like, oh, they're huge. But what got them there? You don't know what went on behind the scenes. You don't know how much money was lost. You don't like, you don't know until you try. And I feel like that's cliche, but I mean, it's true. You have to try so many different avenues before you, you get to one that's right for your band and your brand. Absolutely. You know, everything is different for each band. I will say this about mm-hmm. the emerging rock bands is talk to one another, build yeah. that relationship. I, I do know that there is a difference between the young bands that are out there now versus decades before, where there's more of a community feel with the bands right. supporting each other. And I think that's great. But talk to each other and see what people are doing. See what they recommend. See, not so much what recommend, but ask them what works for them. Ask them what attorney they use. Ask them what mm-hmm. merch company. Find all that stuff out. You know, I mean, share information. And the other thing is that if you can pull each other together, right? I mean, if you select one vendor and say, hey, listen, we've got five bands that want to buy merch from you or create merch through you. 
What's the mm-hmm. best deal we can get with five bands? Your costs are going to be right. so much lower mm-hmm. versus going on by yourself. I mean, just using this as an example, but if like Dirty Honey, Joyous Wolf, Classless Act, the Dead Deads, and uh, any other band out there, um, uh, Rival Sons, all yeah. pulled themselves together and, and created a unit of or a unified company that ha- has buying power now because now instead of one band, you've got all these other bands that want to work with you through this entity that creates less, you know, mo- less money up front for you to spend. Mm-hmm. So think about that too. You know, I mean, think about working together to lower the cost for each other, especially now with inflation and, and prices and costs. Yeah, being higher. for sure. So that's just something to think about too, as well. Yeah. I think a big thing, especially for the younger bands, of course, is just like establishing that community because I feel like some bands and artists might look at it as, Oh, that's my competition in a way. Yes. But at the same time, imagine how much bigger it could be if it was a collaborative effort versus looking at somebody as almost like an enemy because they're trying to do the same thing as you. It happens in the business end of things. It happens. People get very protective things that they want to be theirs from what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. And it's harmful in the long run, like sharing ideas, going back and forth, building these relationships and not getting like, I don't know, just like overprotective of things. It'll make such a difference. And because then maybe when you're down and out, oh, someone who you created a good relationship will come and pick you up. You have to take these things into consideration. Working together is not going to make you all sound the same. It's not going to do the same live show. You may have, you're going to have different merchandise, maybe the same idea, but you know, it's not going to really affect you. I mean, it's, it's all positive. And like you mm-hmm. said, you know, when one band is up, if you've got that good relationship with a band that's down, you're going to want to pull them up with you and vice versa. And that's truly is a community, you know, uh, effect on what's happening and supporting each other. It's not always mm-hmm. going to be that way. There's always going to be people that feel differently, but if you can get an ex, you know, a couple dozen bands to, really kind of work within each other and in in community. Like if you want to reach out to a band overseas in the UK, Hey, you know what? We're, we're thinking about coming over and playing what, you know, if we played with you guys, what would it, what would you, what, what would the payout be? And vice versa. If you came over to America, we would pay you this much, all that stuff right. works, you know? And, uh, and ultimately know. it just never hurts to ask. Right. And that's a thing that I personally battle with. I'm like, what if I try and I fail? I got to get over it because if you don't try, you automatically fail. Mm-hmm. So it's like, at least put the feeler out there. You know, if, if you got to swallow your, you got a pride thing going on, you got to swallow your pride, just swallow your pride and ask, ask for help if you need it. Ask for guidance because there are more than enough people in the music industry. Granted, some of them are not the nicest or the best. There's, a lot of good. Yeah. For every jackass, there's five people willing to help you. Right. I didn't want to word it that way. I'm glad you did. But, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, it, and it's true. There are not nice people in the music industry, a hundred thousand percent. But for me, from my personal experience, I can say that at least for every not nice person, I met one to two nice people and that's like when i announced to my media company when i said i essentially grew up in this industry it's it's such a thing for me because i'm 23 years old which is very young and i started when i was 17 which is even younger but i have connections from when i was 17 years old that i still work with and communicate with and go to for advice and help and it's bizarre to think like man, this person watched me graduate high school, turn 21. Like 
my like pivotal life moments were in the music industry and some of them fell off. You know, I lost some people along the way and I, the ones I gained were even better. So I think not only bands, but like people, like if you're pursuing journalism, if you're pursuing management or you want to be a booking agent or something like that, not to get discouraged because I'll be the first person to admit, I hate the word. No, I hate feeling like I failed. It's, a thing I battle with all the time but no doesn't equate failure keep going I bet you'll get a yes at some point and I feel like that has to be everybody's mentality if you're a band and people are telling you no just keep going like (laughs) I feel like I'm talking to kindergartners but like yeah It's the same thing, you know, with with the podcast. If any band wanted to ever reach out to me and ask me, you know, bounce an idea, you know, off off of me or ask me what bands are doing, I won't tell you specifically, you know, which bands, I won't name them, but I will tell you what I'm seeing other bands do that are successful. So, you know, that's always out there for any band that's listening, any new band that hey, you know what? What is what are what are bands doing for this? And I won't say the specific band name, but I'll tell you what they're doing and, and, and how they're successful. We already talked about a couple bands specifically on this episode, Plush and Dirty Honey, you know, Plush having a great management company that has a great radio pusher that pushed them to X, um, satellite radio and Dirty Honey, small team around them. That's very supportive that, you know, they're, that they're able to keep track of and they're able to have that personal relationship. Those are two things right there, a great management company and a small team. That if, if you don't take anything from this episode, take those two things. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's, it's important to love the people you work with and work around because if you don't, it's just going to be, miserable it's not gonna if things aren't working and you're listening to this maybe take a step back objectively and look who am I surrounded with what am I doing what are they doing what are we collectively doing because something in in most life situations something's got to give so gotta feel it out and if things feel right going if something feels wrong evaluate it fix it to the best of your ability and keep going but don't it's easy to get discouraged I'm not going to say don't get discouraged because we're humans and that's just kind of what we do but it's just important to truck along and keep going because Most bands, again, like we talked about at the beginning of this episode, Jay, unless you got tens of thousands of dollars in your back pocket that you can just throw out, you're going to break. People don't have that, though. Yeah. So that's when it comes down to your team and your passion, I think. Well, I know you got to get going, but let's do this again because there's so many things that we can talk about. We didn't even get into streaming. We did touch on a little bit. But like, you know, how to work that angle and all that stuff. There's a lot to get to in terms of what is happening in the music business, how it's always evolving, different social media platforms, having that connection. There's so much that we can, we can talk about. Absolutely. And it's, it's ever changing. So it's really a revolving door of conversation that's never going to end so long as we're in this industry, Jay. So, Jade, you were great. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for having me, Jay. I look forward to coming back on and we can uh, talk a little bit more about this this crazy industry we love so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Everyone, that's Jade Alicia. And you can find her now. Do you have a website? Do you have a social media page? I don't have a website yet. I'm working okay. on that. I'm not sure if that's the route I wanted to go. But on Twitter, my new PR company, Jade Alicia Media Public Relations, is on Twitter at Jade A Media underscore PR because I guess Jade Alicia Media was too long for Twitter. But on Instagram, I'm Jade Alicia Media and I'm on Facebook as well under the same name. I have a unique name, so it'll be pretty easy to find me. Awesome. Go check it out. Uh, if you're a new artist, new band, and you're interested in sending Jade your music and, you know, seeing if she might be interested in representing you. I think it's a great place to start. 
Uh, I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks. Hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, we'll do this again. We'll do this frequently because I think it's important because we do cover a lot of new bands on this show and we spotlight a new bands, a lot of new bands. Um, so I think it is, uh, there is some value to it and, uh, we'll work out the schedule. We'll get something planned here in the near future, but thanks again for listening. Take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.